Well, good morning, everybody. I am honored to continue to share the story of God with you this morning. Um, I'm going to let you know we're still in Genesis, okay? <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, I think Exodus, or at least a couple chapters in, uh, will be Greg next week. He's going to move it move it down the field for us. Uh, but Darren was right. There's so much that is packed into these pages of the Bible. And these first books, they set the foundation and the landscape for what is to come. So our purpose today is to get a better grasp of God's promise. After the flood, God promised Noah that never again would he wipe out the human race. So we fast forward 10 generations later from Noah to a man named Abraham. And so for some of you, when you hear that name, Abraham, I'm sure a couple of you remember from Sunday school as kids, Father Abraham and many sons. Sing it. Father had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. You guys did way better than first service. Nobody even said anything. If you're like, what is this, okay, just think of it, it's like the Christian version of Hokey Pokey, okay? The funny thing is that song, it still holds the promise of God. He desperately wants this beautiful connection with each one of us. And we saw that in the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then we saw it with Noah. And now God is choosing Abraham and his wife, Sarah, reminding us that God is one of relationship, not religion. This special kind of connection is building the way for us to have that as well. And this is not just for the people of the Bible. Uh, just so there's no confusion, I'm going to use the names Abram, Abraham, and Sarah, Sarai. God changes their name throughout the story, but if you want to dive into that this week, go right ahead. We're just making sure we're all on the same page. So in Genesis chapter 12, it says we find God going to Abram and sharing this promise. Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home. Travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I'm going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and an example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey, and I'm going to trip up those who trip you up along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families on earth will find their blessing in you. On that day, God spoke and he shared with Abraham something bigger is happening and he and his family get to be a part of it. I mean, just the opportunity it is mind-blowing to think that God is asking him. It feels so good when people encourage us, right? When they see something in us and we're like, really? Me? Are you sure you're talking to me? Okay. But now we have God asking Abraham, saying that he is going to be the father of great people, so many descendants. God will bless him and watch over him and all of the families from now on, they are going to find their blessing in you. He didn't have any questions about how or why, because he's just an ordinary guy. But he went. He went because of God's grace was with him, and he became a witness of God's promise. 
you know, looking at Abraham, he was no spring chicken, okay? He wasn't a 23-year-old ready to start some kind of startup, no. He was a retired 75-year-old man. He was married uh, to Sarah, and they were unfortunately never able to have kids. And God asked him personally. Abraham doesn't ask questions. He knows he is on a mission from God. So, without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all of their possessions and all of the persons they had acquired for their household while in Haran. And they set off towards the land of Canaan. Now, he leaves everything that he knows and he just trusts. Back then, family was huge. That was the center of what someone knew. So to just get up and leave, that was very much unheard of. And I'm sure for Sarah and Abraham, even though that they had this excitement of God's mission, there still was a little bit of heartbreak. God gave them the what, but not the how all of this is going to play out. And I don't know about you, but details, they matter to me. They help me better understand and trust that something is actually going to take place. So God was very specific in the what, but nothing else like when. And if someone tells you, hey, you know what, why don't we go grab coffee or let's go out to dinner, but they give you no other information, you kind of know that's not going to happen. But if someone says, hey, you know what, we decided to have a Super Bowl party today. Um, It's going to be at 5 o'clock, and we are making a snack cadium, okay? It is six kinds of cheese cubes, okay? Hot wings, a whole bunch of sauces, little meatballs. They're waving flags for the team that's on the field made of taco dip, okay? Yes, I'm in, okay? And if that is you, the Zapchanks will be there at 4.45 tonight, okay? It's in those kind of details, usually food details, in those kind of details that lead me and give me direction. So it's amazing to me that Abraham had the courage and the obedience to leave it all and go where God was telling him to go. And that's why I'm grateful he chose Abraham and his wife Sarah because they made it to the promised land. And God showed up to him again. God said, I'm going to give you this land to your future generations. I would be like, such a high. God, not once, but twice. He's now speaking to me. He's telling me this is going to happen. And then months kind of start turning into years. And that excitement and the shininess of God's promise, it kind of peters out a little bit. Because then a famine hit Canaan, and Abraham, he got a little freaked out, so he thought, okay, now I'm going to move to Egypt. But he was a little scared, so he chose to lie about his wife, because I guess she was like the Helen Mirren of that day, and she was so beautiful that somebody was going to steal her away. Okay, it's a whole thing. And both of them are wondering, we're kind of old later in our lives. When is this baby and all of these descendants going to happen? Because the clock is ticking, and AARP is calling, okay? God comes back again, and he says, all of the land you see here for your descendants, you're going to possess forever. I will make your descendants as many as there are specks of dust on the earth. 
And then God, he comes again in chapter 14 in another dream. And you got to love that even in their impatience and his loving relationship with the two of them, God keeps coming back and reassuring his promise, showcasing, yes, I have a master plan. So now 10 years have gone by. Patience is wearing thin. And Sarah is thinking to herself, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. Abraham is now 85, and unfortunately, her value and worth as a woman was based on how many kids she had. So she's like, I'm just going to nudge this thing down the road. I'm going to help God out a little bit. So she decided to come up with this plan using her maidservant, Hagar, as her surrogate. And in the Middle Eastern culture, this was normal. However, was this the promise of God? Is this what he had in mind? No. God wasn't like, oh my gosh, Sarah, you figured it out. Congratulations. Why didn't I think of that? Both Sarah and Abraham, they agreed to this. And out of disobedience, we know comes consequence. Once Hagar had that baby, the jealousy and the arrogance and the disrespect ensued on both sides. It was the epitome of a cat fight on the Jerry Springer episode. It is a reminder to us that nothing good, nothing good comes from taking God's promise into our own hands. I read this story and I think, oh my gosh, Abraham, Sarah, Come on, let's get it together. God told you that this was going to work out, right? And so what if you have to wait 10 years? No big deal. But here's the kicker. As much as Sarah totally annoyed me in this passage of the Bible, the hard truth is, I'm Sarah. I try to fix God's promise and his plan for my life over and over again, thinking, you know what? You might have forgot about me. I mean, there's a lot of people in this world I'm just going to kind of adjust things and figure things out on my own. And it's in my impatience, when it's the hard times, when I'm wondering, what the heck did I do, that I realize God still loves me. He's never left me. And when I'm on our kitchen floor and I am just crying about it, he's there. He's going to use that experience to continually teach and mold me and point me back to his promise. I make a lot of mistakes. And as a mom, your kids, uh, they're so sweet at this age right now. They are like, oh, mom, you never make any mistakes. You're perfect. I'm like, bless you, bless you. But I have to do a better job of explaining to them, like, hey, mom messed up. And so when we share our mistakes and our failures, it's uncomfortable. But when we share that and say we're sorry, we know that we're not alone. And God's promise It includes using broken people just like each one of us. He uses them in the Bible because we can relate to them and learn from them. You know, the Bible, it is a tough hang in many places. It is rough and it's honest because it's beautiful though. Because it's not a polished storybook uh, story. The truth is nothing nothing good comes from taking God's promise into your own hands sure you can think about back to a moment or two in your life where you've done everything in your power to finally get into the driver's seat of your life and I want to just be in full control. 
But the reality is we can't trust God with the promises. If we can't do that, how are we going to choose to keep our promises to ourselves and to everyone around us? I'm not talking about your New Year's Eve resolution, okay, that you started on the first and forgot about on the third, okay? I'm talking about the promises that we make to God and ourselves. What does that look like in your own life? The promise is, I'm never, I'm never going to talk about her behind her back ever again. Never. The promise is, I'm going to leave work early and I promise to be there for your game. I'm going to be there for dinner. The promise of, God, I, I want to invest in our relationship with you. I think it's easy to believe that God is one of grace because he is. And if we mess up or we backslide or we kind of forget about our promises, he's just going to forgive us, Right? So we have to change that mindset. In my personal opinion, I really doubt God is just like tailing things off as he's going about his day. He has a lot of other things to do because he already knows. But if we can't keep a promise to God, to the one who loves us unconditionally, who can we leave a promise to? There's a lot of things that went on in this story, like a lot. We haven't even gotten into all of it. And so now it's 24 years later after that first promise. And God enters the scene as three men in physical form. And I believe here we witness the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit breaking bread and drinking together with Abraham in his tent. I mean, this is so cool. So cool. And they said to them, where is your wife Sarah? And he said, right here in the tent, there was a bunch of walls, I guess, like sheets around. So she was in there. And then one of the men said, I will definitely return to you about this time next year. And then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the door behind them because it's God. Of course, you're going to do that, right? And so now Abraham and Sarah, they were both very old. And Sarah, she was no longer menstruating. And so Sarah laughed to herself thinking, "Uh, I'm no longer able to have children. And my husband, he's old. And this is so great because it's like Sarah is this teenager talking to her dad and she's rolling her eyes and just like, yeah. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? and say, me, give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And just a heads up, if God ever questions you and you hear that, just agree, just agree with him, okay? But Sarah, of course, she chose to lie and she got a little frightened and she's like, I didn't laugh. Sure, go ahead, Sarah. (laughs) But he said, no, You laughed, and then you just kind of like stopped the conversation. It's just done right there. So at the ripe age of 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah, they finally had their baby boy. And you know that God had a sense of humor because they named him Isaac, which means laughter. Just like Darren asked the question the other week, why did God not flood the world for seven more days? Why did God wait all this time to give Sarah and Abraham a baby? Why? I have to believe that even though, yeah, they messed up, his timing is better than ours and just maybe, God knows that we're not ready for that promise just yet. There are so many background details and things that have to be in place 
And maybe it's us who needs a time of transformation because Abraham couldn't possibly be able to be used like he was at 75, like he was at 100. For God, it's not behavior modification. No. It is about heart transformation. When God makes promises, it's not like we're just changing like these minor things just to figure out, like, I'm going to drink more water and it's going to be better in my life. No. We're talking about like a full-on surrender to him so that we can have a heart transformation. Sometimes it's going to take 24 more years or so for us to realize just like Sarah and Abram had to. Or perhaps God was preparing Abraham for what is around the corner next. Their son Isaac, he had grown up. They were happy. And then one day God came back. And he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. The son he's waited for, okay? The son that he's loved. The son that God promised to him. How are we going to make all these descendants happen without that one son? Why? Why would God ask him to do such a terrible thing? Isaac, who is now a young man, he's possibly anywhere between 12 to 30 years old. They both set out to make a sacrifice. And unknowingly, Isaac, he was carrying the wood on his back. He had no idea what was happening. But they climbed up those steep, stony mountain paths. They, they built an altar. Isaac questioned his dad what he was doing to him when he bound him. But he obeyed. I can't, I can't even imagine the tears that were filling up in Abraham's eyes his hand trembling as he raised that knife towards his son and the pain that was filling his heart. Is this the promise of God? But at the very last moment, God said, stop. Don't lay your hand on that boy or do anything to harm him. I know now that you respect the one true God who will be loyal to him and follow his commands because you are willing to give up your son your only son. Does that sound like any other prominent story from the Bible to you? God's promise is in the details. Because if we fast forward 55 generations from Abraham, we see God's only beloved son, Jesus. He's carrying that wooden cross on his back. He's going up that steep mountain path towards his crucifixion. And Jesus, he did question his father in the garden the night before. But Jesus obeyed. And then he was the ultimate sacrifice for us all. Isaac's life foreshadowed Jesus's, the promise of what is to come. And reading this, you kind of ask yourself, why did God have to do this? Why did this situation have to happen? I mean, he is God, right? Why not skip over all the bad parts of it? Last Easter, we had uh, 24 hours of prayer. We pray every hour from Good Friday to Easter. I think that's right, Lisa, right? No. There's 24 hours somewhere in there that we're praying. Okay. In that time, uh, somebody posed a question in our group. They said, you know what? Why did Jesus' death have to be so gruesome? And I've never, I've never really questioned it before, but it was a really good question. 
another lady spoke up and she said, it had to mean something more. Imagine if Jesus just had a heart attack, okay, in his sleep and nobody would notice or care. It wouldn't mean as much. Would it have been a real sacrifice to Jesus? It was a sacrifice to God. He was willing to give up his son, his only son, to fulfill his promise and show just how much he loved us. So why does this promise matter to me? Why does it matter to you? Well, that promise is offered to each one of us because we are his descendants. It's a choice for each one of us. He doesn't want us to carry the weight of the world. He doesn't want us to hustle until we break to hold our world together with duct tape and post-it notes. That is not what he promised to us. Jesus was a part of that first promise from Abraham on day one. And if you are tired and weary of holding it all together, know that you don't have to. He's there for us. And when we see the hope that God wanted to extend to his children from day one, we recognize that that is the only promise that matters. And everything else flows out of that. So I want to give you a couple things as we head out into this week. Number one, have you been taking God's promise into your own hands? I'm working on repentance right now. And I know that is a big, scary word. But honestly, who doesn't need a little bit more humility and ownership in your life? It's as simple as looking back over the course of your day and saying, you know what? God, I am, I am sorry. Help me to change my heart to better understand your promise. And thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to start again tomorrow. Number two, is God preparing you? As humans, we think everything in 24-hour segments and 365 days of the year, and I think we need to offer ourselves the freedom that we don't need to be restrained by those conditions. As much as I would love to believe it, God did not get out his 2022 calendar and start charting out his promises. No, God is God. I was on a call the other night, and this woman, Nona Jones, she said this, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. God is never going to give you the blueprint. He's just not. Because if he did, do you think we would have the guts to accept it? Do you think we would even believe it? Instead of asking God why this week, start building that heart transformation of trusting him however he is preparing you. We live in a world full of broken promises made by broken people. Yes, we've been hurt, and we've probably caused some of those broken promises too. But God is not broken. He is the one who truly sees us. He knows us so well because he created us from day one. He knows your struggles. He knows every joy, every pain that races through your mind. So, number three, will you accept his promise? Acceptance of his promise is hard, and it is a process. This is not just like a quick transition. It is a process, just like Abraham and Sarah had to go through, messy and all. You're not alone. 
It says in his word, whatever God has promised, whatever he has promised, it gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. If we're going to God with our life and we're focusing on our will, uh, that is his will, God is stamping it with yes, yes in Jesus. I think it goes back to that relationship and trust. Has God been there for you in the past? We take that time to reflect. We can see him peeking out all over the place. We can see the evidence of him. And it plays out in ways that we could have never, ever imagined. One of the, my readings this week, they, they summed it up the best. It said, the story of Abraham and the rest of the book of Genesis, it reminds us that we can trust God. Even when we don't understand or we don't think that his plan makes any sense. We can trust that he is working in ways that we don't see, in ways that we don't even understand. But just remember this. When God makes a promise, he always keeps it.